This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. They cut up with the title without an outstanding goalkeeper, and he's been absolutely brilliant. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hello, we are on the ball. We are football. We also don't understand what NFTs are, but we're selling some of monkeys. And uh, we got three fantastic pundits here today. Uh, there's myself, Cam Rustin, of course. And we have Bob Holmes. Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, not been called fantastic before. All right, where you don't are. don't know how are. I can really relate to that somehow. No, no, you are. You are. And uh, you're, you're on the ground floor of NFTs. You know what they are, don't you, Bob? <laughs> You're telling me all about them. <laughs> and we have uh, also with us Des Corkill. A little bit bleary-eyed today because I got a dodgy feed to watch the AFCON uh, semi-final last night. I wish I hadn't bothered. It was dreadful. It went to penalties, but it was dreadful. But Egypt are in the final. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I knew that. Of course I knew that. And uh, we, we've got um, a young fella who's been on Off the Ball a couple of times, and he's now over here on On The Ball. He is Sean Malhotra. What's up, everyone? It's nice to, to be on the Friday show for once. <laughs> Hopefully I don't disappoint. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm, with these two, you really can't disappoint, <laughs> you know. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the closing of the winter transfer window. Who are the winners and the losers? We will do some FA Cup fourth round previews. And we're going to have to talk about the uh, Mason Greenwood and Benjamin Mendy uh, terrible stories. But we're going to be asking about the club's responsibilities on that. There'll be some Africa Cup of Nations. And if we can get the time, we're going to be talking about some Asia FIFA World Cup qualifiers. So let's, let's start with the transfer window, which has just closed. And I think it's been a pretty exciting one, actually, surprisingly, for, for a winter one. Uh, let's. It always. This is football. It always has to be seen through the prism of winners and losers, which is probably unfair. But let's do it anyway. Let's start with Everton. It's a, a Liverpool club, so I am contractually obliged to begin with Des Corkill. Uh, Des, Everton, under the new manager Lampard, have some big signings uh, and Deli Ali. What do you think? Do you think this has been a good window for them? A lot of my Evertonian friends think so, absolutely. Uh, after the, um, the, the, the Rafa Benitez era came to a well, indistinguished um, end, they've, I think they've bought into Lampard. Uh, and then you certainly had Deli Ali and De Beer and add um, Mikolenko, who's already become a, a little bit of a, a cult hero already, and Al Ghazi. And they needed a centre-back, it's got to be said, because that's where their main problems have been. But... Basically, Evertonians, I think they're changing their, their uh, motto, which was nil satis nisi optimum, nothing but the best, to nil satis nisi optimism, because they've always got to look at the bright side of things. And I think that's what they are. They're still really concerned about Mashiri. They love his money. They hate his management style. There's a lot of anger against uh, Bill Kenwright, which um, I did some research on this, uh, which surprised me because I thought Bill Kenwright, who's a Merseyside uh, uh, um, and Everton man through and through, but he's been in charge of, of Everton for a long time. So there's frustration that the, the, the board hasn't changed, but there's real optimism about the, 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 new, the new stadium. They think Lampard is the kind of person who can uh, invigorate a more attacking style. And yes, there is optimism at Goodison Park, but there has been ever since they won the three championships last year. But uh, 
what do you think, though, Des? I mean, they're in kind of relegation trouble. There, will these new signings help them? Can they can they bed in fast? Can they help them uh, rise up the league? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I'm, I'm going to use the old phrase "too good to go down." I think there's too many good players at Everton. Uh, I think De Beer and um, Deli Ali are, are just ready to shine. Both need. An arm round the shoulder, a bit of TLC. Frank Lampard used to play in a, a not dissimilar position to them. Whether he can shoehorn them both into the same team is, is another matter altogether. But I, I think he's, he, it probably is a good sign. Whether it's a good long-term decision for Frank Lampard to be at Everton, we will see. But certainly, um, to, to erase any relegation fears, I think this is uh, very, very positive for Everton Football Club. I am a red but you don't like to see Everton struggling too much. You like to see yeah. them struggle, but not yeah. too much. Not too much, right. That's, that's very kind of you. So let's go to Aston Villa and Bob. Uh, Bob have had a... Uh, Bob, <laughs> Aston Villa, has had a very active uh, window. Coutinho was an early signing, but there have been others. It looks like Gerard's. Well, they're really putting faith in Gerard and giving him what he wants. Uh, do you think they've had a good transfer window, Bob? Excellent transfer window. Absolutely. I mean, Coutinho alone, but to get Dean for relatively little money, uh, established uh, French international, um, just where they need somebody, left back. Um, and uh, the others, uh, they've got a reserve goalkeeper, Robin Olsen, another international, experienced Swedish international, and Callum Chambers to shore up the defence, a free transfer from uh, Arsenal. So I think that's an excellent piece of business. And at least, well, well, Coutinho obviously came because of the Gerrard influence, but I think a couple of others would have done also. That's the advantage of having a name as a manager. I mean, it doesn't always work. I mean, owners like to have famous names as managers. It doesn't mean they're all uh, always any good. Gerard, I think he's started his managerial career pretty well. Um, you see what's happened to Rangers since he left them. And Villa have had a pretty good start with him in charge. So, yes, it's, it's looking good for Gerard, and it'll be interesting to see how Lampard goes alongside Gerard in the Premier League. You know, they, they, played, they couldn't play together, could they? They played at the same time for England. Famously couldn't play together. They were part of the golden generation. Uh, they somehow didn't click together. And now they're rivals as managers at roughly the same stage of their respective careers. So that, is, that alone is, is uh, worth, the, worth the subscription fee uh, for the Premier League. So I think Aston Villa have had a very, very good window. I don't think they're going to come sixth as Des and I forecast, but I think they'll probably come eighth or seventh even. Well, uh, the three busiest clubs actually all have young managers. If we look at Newcastle, the richest club in the world, Eddie Howe, he has had a pretty busy time. I'm, I'm, I noticed they did not manage to secure Kylian Mbappe. I don't know how that happened. But uh, they did manage to, on the other hand, get some well, uh, some pretty solid players. Uh, Sean, do you, do you see the, uh, the purchases over at Newcastle as helping them get out of this relegation trouble that they're in? Well, definitely. I think the five signings they've made, they've strengthened in every position they've needed. For example, they got Kieran Trippier, who's not only an experienced Premier League player, but he's pretty much done it all. He's not only done it in England. He's played for Burnley, he's played for Spurs, played for Latico Madrid, 
So he knows what it's like to, to fight for a team. And he's a leader in that team, right? He's not one of the most popular names you think of. You think about England, you've got Carl Walker in that position. Uh, you've got maybe, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, but Gareth Southgate's always relied on Kieran Trippier. So you see his quality there. Not only can he deliver great balls into the box for goal scorers to score. And <laughs> thinking about it, Callum Wilson's gotten injured again. And what did they do? They got one of the, I would say, most underrated strikers in the league in Chris Wood. Because you just get the ball to him in the box and he's going to score. Right? So they've got goal scoring, they've got creators, and they got, I don't know how no other club, for example, Arsenal went in for a player like Bruno Gumares. Right? Creative player, strong defensively as well in midfield. They've got a team now that, like Des was saying earlier, is too good for the drop. Right? If you'd asked me like two, three months ago, I'd say, yeah, probably they they did get relegated, but they've strengthened in a way where I think now they have a team that can really build on. The question is going to loom whether the team can gel quick enough because none of these players have played together before. So they've strengthened in the right positions, but it's a matter of will whatever is on paper work out on the day of the games, right? But I honestly think they've got a great team to actually get out of their relegation zone right now, out of all the teams that are struggling down there. And then win the Champions League in two years, yeah? Uh, I mean, City is still trying. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Well, as it stands, it looks like nobody's going to get relegated. So uh, let's look at some of the uh, other clubs had a slightly quieter window. I'm not going to go to you, Des, for the Liverpool for once. I want to ask you about Man City, a very rich club, um, but had a pretty quiet window. Do you think they did okay with Julian Alvarez? Yeah, the champion teams, they... they... Uh, change minimally. Manchester City have got two world-class players for every position already. They don't need wholesale change of their squad. Uh, They've managed this superbly. They went under the radar, like Liverpool did, completely under the radar. Nobody was really speculating about what was going on. Uh, Julian Alvarez was actually meant to be going to Man United and Manchester City suddenly get him. That happened with Carlos Tevez, if I recall. But um, so, so they've, they've got the next, squad, uh, the next set, um, attacking squad player. It means that they can drop one of their players. They've lost Ferran, Ferran Torres, admittedly, but they could drop one of their players in the summer and it's have no real devastatingly bad effect on them. The top teams do things effectively and quietly. They know in advance what they're doing. It's not a panic move. This isn't a panic move. The Liverpool one, I'm ignoring you. Liverpool one, Diaz and Cavallo, they were the two targets beforehand. Both have been quietly got. Diaz was meant to be in the summer. Tottenham came in. Liverpool matched it. Diaz wants to come to Liverpool so he could play against Cardiff. The top teams do things under the radar. And that is why Manchester City and, to a lesser degree, Liverpool are the top teams. Okay, Bob, uh, Des went and stole Liverpool. So uh, I want to ask about... uh, West Ham. West Ham didn't do any business. The fans were really hoping for something, but they didn't take anybody. But West Ham are doing well. Is there an argument to be made that, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Uh, yes, you can say that, but you're depending on uh, no players getting broke, aren't you? I mean, an injury crisis would leave them uh, with a very, very thin squad. That's a risk they've taken. Um, I mean, all clubs uh, come to this most managers like to have a relatively thin squad. They don't like players hanging about who they can't pick and getting restive. Klopp is a prime example of that. But obviously, you've got to have backup in case of injuries. And if you get a crisis like Liverpool did as uh, last season in one position, uncannily, all, all the centre-backs on the books were injured at the same time. 
I mean, you can't legislate for that. You hope that only happens once in a generation or never. Um, so West Ham are taking a risk. Um, I mean, they're still involved in Europe, aren't they? They're uh, obviously in the, in the um, FA Cup and they're playing uh, Kidderminster Harriers, the lowest team in it. So they're looking at making further progress in the FA Cup. So they're going to have a busy um, few weeks ahead. So, yeah, it's a risk. But if nobody came up to expectations or nobody wanted to join, then they don't want to pay the extra money to get somebody in. So fair enough. So I, I can quite understand why what um, they've done there. We've run out of time in this section, but what, I, I still want to do a bit of more transport for talk. So we're going to carry that over to part two. We're going to come back with uh, a t- quick talk about um, Arsenal and Spurs here on On The Ball on BFM 89.9. It is a fine goal. Fine header, fine goal. On the ball on BFM 89.9. We're on the ball on BFM 89.9, and we're just going to carry on the, the transfer talk for a little bit longer because, Sean, I want to ask you about perennial, I don't know, Spursy clubs, uh, which would be Arsenal and, of course, Spurs. Arsenal kind of, I don't know, they lost players. Um, they didn't really replace players. Aubameyang, the, I think... Almost certainly their, their highest wage earner has moved on. Uh, what's happening, do you think, with uh, Arsenal? And also, I want to throw in Spurs as well for you. They missed out on people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite confusing for Arsenal because if you look at their summer transfer business, right, they've got young players in to fill positions that you'd say they needed help with, right? Come January, there was a lot of talk of them probably going in for a striker. Vlahovic was one of them. Probably going in for a midfielder. Gumares was one of them. You let players go midway through the season, right? And Aubameyang, whatever said and done, whatever personal issues he may have with Mikel Arteta and his, his attitude and being the former club captain and all that, he's still a world-class striker at that club, you know? And you, you need your best players, especially when you're pushing on for a Champions League spot. You let Aubameyang go. You let Callum Chambers go. You let a few players leave the club and you don't sign anyone to replace them. That's going to be very detrimental for your push for a Champions League spot. And I'm pretty sure Arsenal fans could feel confident about the fact that, hey, you know what? We actually have a chance here. Because if you look for that race, the top four, Spurs is in it, West Ham's in it, United's in it, Arsenal's in it. These, these four clubs, you'd say, maybe have a chance at that fourth spot. Letting Obama Young go and knowing that you only have two, maybe one recognisable striker in Alexander Lacazette and there's a chance and murmurs of him maybe leaving as well that doesn't help the club and then you have Eddie and Katia who hasn't scored a Premier League goal yet and he's not someone you'd say you'd rely on to get you goals to get you to that fourth spot so this is same old Arsenal it's as harsh as I may say it it's but same sure, they, they've, they've got to these positions they've got mm-hmm. to this Champions League without Aubameyang yeah. and without Callum Chambers mm-hmm. they've improved and surely this is Arteta saying Aubameyang you are trouble you're mm-hmm. no value. To, you're no value to me. You're not part of my project, and you're better off out the club than you are in. Mm-hmm. Surely this is a step forward for Arsenal. Maybe a step backwards in in terms of you play your best players, but not if they're trouble. I mean, if, if I agree in that sense, if they're troubled, you want them out, but you'd also want someone to come in. They let him go so late. Technically, they let him go after the window ended. You know, with all the contract signings and everything, but you didn't get someone in to replace him. That's still a source of goals. If you look at the Arsenal attackers, none of them are in double digits. So as a collective, I don't think they're in double digits either. So that can be hurtful going forward for them to get the Champions League position. So as a stance for the club, taking a stand against, you know, troublesome players, I agree. 
But in terms of pushing forward for goals and getting that position, I don't think it was a great move, especially not getting a player in. I'd also heard, though, that Arsenal's plan with with Arteta was not necessarily to get into Champions League this season. They weren't really thinking that they could do it. They were planning to do it next season and beyond. Mm-hmm. So they're in a position now where they're kind of like thinking, well, we could get the Champions League spot, but it, it was never really the plan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, especially after they lost the first three games of the season. And that was after buying five players in the window, wasn't it? Uh, we were wondering about those signings even. But most of them have turned out well. And it is a long-term strategy at Arsenal. And I think they've done well to get rid of Obama Young, just as they did uh, with Ozil. I mean, you, once you get a trouble in the dressing room, a so-called bad apple. I'm not saying he's a bad human being, but obviously something was wrong there. He didn't work with Arteta, just as Ozil didn't work. And they're better off without them, I think. I think that's the view that Arteta would uh, certainly take and the board who are backing him. It would have been nice if they got uh, Vlahovic, but I think he was always going to Juventus. But um, that that's just tough. If Arsenal... If Arsenal don't get into the Champions League this season, it won't be a disaster. No. Well, hey, gonna... Sean, you pick on the old boys. We'll have a go back at you. We'll triple up on you. Well, <laughs> I expected. I fully expected. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even need to do a Cruyff turn to get past you two, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to skip over Spurs because they're Spurs. And I want to go straight to the FA Cup uh, fourth round previews. Obviously, there's quite a few matches going, so we won't do all of them. But uh, let's start. Okay, Dez, I'm contractually obliged. Liverpool. Uh, there are two Liverpool clubs, Everton versus Brentford, which could be interesting. I don't know how much Everton or indeed Brentford even care about this competition. But also Liverpool versus Cardiff City, Malaysia's Cardiff City. Um, so I think they still are, are they not? They are, and, yeah. Yep, yeah. there you go. So uh, how do you think that the, um, the Liverpool clubs will fare here? And are they, are they interested? Uh, Liverpool are interested, definitely. Um, Diaz might get a debut. Um, it'll be a strongish team that, that goes out. And they're, 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 they are interested in battling on all the Cups. They, they haven't given up the, the league title, but they're in a League Cup final. They're thinking of the FA Cup. Europe is, is, is on the horizon. Uh, they've strengthened the squad for the first time in, in a long time. Jurgen Klopp's got um, no injury worries uh, coming into February, but it's a busy old February. And they're up against uh, Cardiff City, uh, my, my, my second club. I used to work at Cardiff City and I've got a house down there, so uh, I'm interested in them. But Cardiff, they have to be beating Nottingham Forest in midweek, Bob. Um, Cardiff are, are looking just to cement their position as uh, in the middle of the, um, of the championship. They had a dreadful start to the season, sacked their coach. So I don't think Cardiff are, are going to be coming here expecting an awful lot. They'll bring a lot of fans, but I don't think they're expecting an awful lot. So I'm anticipating Liverpool for that. As for Everton, Everton need this. Everton need to get off to a good start. Brentford, less so. I don't think the cup matters for Brentford. I think Premier League survival is all that matters for Brentford. But Everton, if Frank Lampard can get off to a, a hot start, the fans will get behind him very, very quickly. But if they get off to a losing start, that's what happened with, with, with Benitez. He had a decent start, but then lost a few games and the crowd can turn against him. As I said, there's optimism at Everton, but it's, it's wary optimism. They're not sure about Frank Lampard. He's, um, he's, a, he's a London boy. He's, uh, he's, not, he's not a Merseysider. He, he didn't shine brilliantly at Derby. 
even at Chelsea, um, his team went on to win the Champions League without him. So, so there's, there's a lukewarm welcome for him. Everton need this and they need to get off to a flyer. So Everton and Liverpool both to win and to be in the draw for the next round. But uh, the big one, the big match surely is, Bob, uh, Leicester versus Nottingham Forest. I, I don't really follow championship too much, but Forest seem to be high flyers. And also, when in the third round, they played really well. So how do you think uh, this match is going to go? Very interesting game. Uh, Forest will, I think, be taking it fairly seriously. They played a strong side, their strongest side against Arsenal in the last round. And even though they had a setback in midweek, as Des uh, pointed out, um, I can't say that we're concentrating on the cup. I'd love to be able to say that, but we're not, of course. We're still thinking in terms of making the playoffs, however unlikely that seemed at the beginning of the season with one point from seven games. Um, So it's been a remarkable run. We have had the best record, apart from Fulham, in the entire Uh, championship. So uh, that's where our uh, priority lies. But this is an East Midlands derby and Leicester come with still a lot of men out. I think we've understated the um, extent of Leicester's injury crisis this season. Uh, Commendably, Brendan Rodgers has not been moaning and making a big deal of it all the time. But I think it's led to people forgetting just how many. They've got half a dozen top-line defenders out still. I mean, Johnny Evans, remember him? You know, Fafana, who was a brilliant signing, broke his leg before the season even started. Pereira, Castagna. I mean, these were top players. Ryan Bertrand, how many is that? It's six, isn't it? They're all, they're all still missing. So that explains, I think, why Leicester have fallen off a little bit this season. But um, anything can happen in a derby game in the FA Cup. Um, but I think Forrest have got a good chance. It is at Forest this game, isn't it? Though you put it down as Leicester v Forest, is it actually at Forest? So, so give the, me a, home, the home crowd, I think, will make a difference. Give me a scoreline then, Nottingham Forest boy. 2-1 to Forest. Whoa, okay. And I could see that happening because um, they were really excellent, I thought, in the third round. So uh, there are lots of others, but I, I cannot see. Uh, we're not going to talk about Kidderminster, West Ham, because surely West Ham should get through that. Chelsea, Plymouth, again. Uh, Man City, Fulham could be a banana skin. But one, one that I think could be a banana skin, Sean, Man United versus Middlesbrough. Who knows what could happen here? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. You know, United could turn up. United could suddenly not turn up. That's the thing about United right now. I think we're in a... Mentally, we may not be in the best position after the whole Mason Greenwood thing, but there is a job to be done. You know, we've got players coming back like Paul Pogba, and a lot of people could say he doesn't perform as much as he should, but this is a chance for the team to put behind everything that's just happened. Go out there, play a good game of football against a good borough team. Let's not forget, they've, they've signed a really good young striker from Arsenal as well on loan in following Balagun. So I expect, <laughs> funny enough, you know, we always said the FA Cup was a giant killing tournament where I honestly think there is a chance for United to get knocked out no matter how strong we may be. But I expect United to put everything behind, really go out there and give a, a good game to borough. But I don't expect borough to, to sit down and just take it. I expect a very, very close game. In fact, I think it might actually, it could go by just one goal. I think United skimmed through it just like 2-1 or 1-0. 
but Boro have a chance of actually nicking something from United in this game. But do you think Ranić's the kind of guy who could give a rousing speech to spur them on and, and win against this battling <laughs> Borough team? Do you, I, I, he doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. That's the thing. I mean, we've had great managers at this club, right? Po- Post Ferguson, you could say we've had. I wouldn't look at Moyes as a great manager at United, but I would look at Louis Van Gaal. I look at Jose Mourinho. These two were, you know, they, they were greats, and they couldn't get a response, you would say, from the team entirely. Even though they won trophies with them. They eventually got sacked. Ralph Ragnick seems strikes me more as a man-to-man coach rather than like a great tactician. You know, a lot of the young players have come through right now, like uh, Anthony Elanga, Charlie Savage, and uh, uh, Zidane Iqbal, who've all come and given like a lot of thanks to him. And then you've got Hannibal Medjbri who might be coming into this game as well. So the young players could be the ones that you know stand out ahead of the, the senior players. So there is something that Ralph Ragnick is doing right, maybe with the kids. Mm. Yeah, De- Dez's face fell then when you just said Ranyuk's not a great tactician. That's <laughs> yeah. a, a equivalent of a sliding tackle from behind. No, the, the, the face fell with a number of wheeze that Sean is saying. That's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a strictly neutral show, this, Sean. We are on the fence. I, 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 to the mighty Reds of Liverpool. I keep, actually, I keep meaning to tell you, uh, Sean, actually, I, I agree with Des there. A lot of we when it comes my to bad, Manchester. My bad. <laughs> Try, pretend, pretend. Um, so we're going to move on and uh, we're, we're going to talk about a, a very difficult subject, but one that really needs to be talked about, which is, um, well, player discipline, club responsibility and the, the heinous stories about Mason Greenwood and Benjamin Mendy uh, here on On The Ball, BFM 89.9. What about that clearance off the line? How important did that turn out to be in the end? On The Ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on On The Ball with myself, Cam Russell, and Bob Holmes, Dez, Corkill, and Sean Maholtra. And now um, a difficult story, one that actually crops up far too often in uh, the football world. And uh, we concentrate here just on the, the Premier League, really. But, but, you know, it's throughout the football world. It's young men and with a crowd of 50,000 screaming their name. We have uh, the story of Mason Greenwood, Manchester United's young Mason Greenwood, 20-year-old, who has been accused now of or rape, and also Benjamin Mendy, who is now in prison, and the number of rape accusations just keep rising. It was four, six, I think it's seven now. And I don't know, I want to ask, I mean, you guys have been watching football for a long time, and stories like this come up, and also kind of, not quite so bad stories as this about young men behaving very badly. Uh, Des, can I ask you, is the club in any way responsible? Do they have some I don't know, duty of care or something? Before I answer directly, I'd just like to offset the bad news with the good news that doesn't make the headlines. The fact that Sadio Mane paid for a hospital in his hometown in Senegal. The fact that um, players are routinely doing charitable good causes and they're not headline news. Uh, there's an awful lot of good that goes on in the Premier League. Crystal Palace, to their credit, are the first club to say that um, for those kids who are rejected by them as not good enough to play for the first team, there'll be some follow-up aftercare, counselling, uh, schooling, etc. Um, uh, for three years once they've left the club. And education is a massive part of what goes on at all professional football clubs, certainly in, 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 uh, in the United Kingdom, certainly in the top flight. Um, so I want to offset all that bad news because none of that gets headlines. You have to dig very, very deep. And then suddenly something like, like these, uh, the, 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 the Mendy 
um, stories stories come up and they make the headlines for obvious reasons. Do the club have a duty of care? <sighs> in some ways, n- no, but yes, of course, because they're, they're in your employees and they're your prized acquisitions. So you should be aware of what's going on. And a, a lot of this is, is down to um, nurturing and management. Sir Alex Ferguson of Manchester United was famous for the fact he kept a really close eye on, on Ryan Giggs, who's another one who's in trouble uh, subsequently later on in his life. But he kept a really close eye on the Beckham and the Skulls. He used to regularly phone up, make sure he knew where they were. Bill Shankly famously used to do this at Liverpool. Don Revy famously at Leeds United. So there was always that pastoral care in what seems to be a different age. And it looks like that pastoral care and that responsibility has disappeared a little bit. And so... Yes, there is a responsibility for clubs to have some kind of pastoral care for, for their people. Obviously, there's not a lot you can do if Mason Greenwood decides to ignore all that pastoral care. Mason Greenwood's a grown, a, a grown man and he's made seemingly made a huge mistake, as has Edward Wendy made a huge mistake, and it goes through the court of law. But yes, I do think clubs have a pastoral care, a moral pastoral care to look after in as much a way as a good way as possible of all of their of their players. But bad apples, gosh, these, 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 are, these are terrible accusations. But there's good as well. There's so much good that we don't focus on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, it, they, they should do good. Uh, I don't know if we need to even compare the two. But, but Bob, uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, these stories, surely, I mean, statistically, they must have been happening in the olden days too. But we've got social media now. And, yes. yeah. So, I mean, are yeah. we just hearing about them more? Uh, yes, I think so. Um, I mean, let's face it, uh, it wasn't the age of innocence um, when uh, Des and I were young men. <laughs> um, I don't like being play- to the job, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, players weren't angels. But I think social media is certainly um, helping to highlight this. But it's like the news anyway, you know, newspapers and news... Uh, stations, news channels, highlight the bad news because bad news is more readable. It gets attention. It sells newspapers rather than good news. I mean, it's a, it's a tried and trusted formula. There was a guy who started a newspaper. He got so fed up with all the bad news. He actually started a newspaper called Good News. It lasted one day. <laughs> I mean, people don't read about this good news. They don't want to hear about what Des is talking about, these admirable um, initiatives that some clubs are taking. So you get an imbalance here. Everybody's talking about Mason Greenwood and um, Benjamin Mendy. And also, and in the middle of all this, Wraith Rovers, a Scottish club, go and sign a former player who's a convicted rapist. Now, how does that go down? Of course, they've had to backtrack on that now. I mean, the the women's club at Wraith have, have uh, protested and broken away. All sorts of people have thrown their season tickets away in absolute outrage at that. So, yeah, you sometimes don't handle that. It. He wasn't a convicted rapist, Bob. But he, in, a, he lost, in a civil... He lost, he lost a civil court case. A civil court, civil court. Yeah, well, he was convicted in a civil court. And whether you use the word convicted... But he was guilty. Anyway, he was found guilty in a civil court. And they go and sign a, sign the guy. Um, 
absolutely outrageous. But clubs do have people that look after players. I mean, I know there's a story at Man City, uh, an established international player, his wife, it was his wife, didn't even know how to change a light bulb. And City had to send an office boy along to uh, the address of this player and change a light bulb for the player's wife, a, a multi-million pound player. Um, I mean, what can clubs do? If they do that, they can't be nannies to the players 24-7. I think there's a limit to what clubs can do. Uh, Sean, you're a, you're a young football fan, and uh, I don't even know if you remember the Ferguson days. I can't help thinking this couldn't have happened under Ferguson because he had a, a little army of informants who would tell it would tell him exactly where Lee Sharp was or something, and and also um, in, in the case of Wraith Rovers, the captain of the women's team instantly resigned. She said, "I don't want to have anything to do with this club." Football's in a position now where it is attracting and wants to attract women to play the game and to be fans. I, I don't know if we can be so, let's say, fair. Something has to be done. You know, I was saying it earlier that football is more than just a game now. It's, it's a big business, right? And Des was saying earlier, you have your assets at the clubs. You know, the Mason Greenwood is the... There's so many cases just like Mason Greenwood. And you want to make a stand against things like this, because abuse is abuse. Let's call it for what it is, right? Rape is rape. You don't, there's no mistake to it. There is no, I didn't mean to do it. It happened. And you have to take a stand because it's bigger than football. It's much bigger than football. It's a societal issue, right? There's more that needs to be done, but that's not for United to do. If eventually, you know, Greenwood is found guilty for his actions, United will make the stand of saying, hey, you know what? We're going to terminate your contract. You're done for. That's it. You know, and everything else will be left to the law. You want to attract people into the game. You got to have a good, you know, image for the game. You know, you want to to there's that there's that that talk of do our professional players role models, right? I do agree that they are because you look at young kids, myself included, like 10, 15 years ago. I looked up to players like Ronaldinho. I looked up to players like the original R nine Ronaldo. Were they good influences off the pitch? Maybe not, but you looked at them on the pitch as well. But you have to look at both sides. You want good people in the game. You don't want, you know, your outcasts and all these kind of things. You want people you can, you can call good role models. And it could be Mason Greenwood, it could be anyone. But I look at it the same way always. If you're not a good apple, there's no place for you in the game. It's as simple as that. I look at the players who want to give their all, who are good citizens. That's, that's the most important thing for me. Yeah, I wonder if uh, these kind of stories, I'm going to throw this one <clears throat> out to everybody. I wonder if these stories are going to be... Um, be more and more because as des was saying that the the that old tradition of that fatherly figure at the head the manager and being able to have any kind of connection with the players in the case of say uh george best back in the day i mean he had a landlady and yet he still managed to get and the landlady was he was like had a curfew but he still managed to get into trouble not this kind of trouble uh, i hasten to add but with the with the managers being sacked so consistently now, the the one consistent thing is the corporation, the 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 entity that owns the club, and do they can we possibly imagine that the corporation, which is only interested in money, would have a care, and that anybody in in turn would ha the players would have a care to 
oh, I want to behave well for Manchester United PLC. I don't know. I, I just wonder if we're going to see more of these dares. Do you, do you, do you think? So at the very top level, uh, I, I think the money is available. And, and um, horrible though it is, uh, Sean used the, the word asset. A player is an asset. So if, if there's money to spare, and there is money to spare at the top level, they are raking in millions. But it, you go down a couple of divisions, and the David Goodwillie example is, 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 is a good example. Wraith Rovers primarily looked on David Goodwillie as purely a football player. And it was only, it was only after all the Ferrari came up that they they decided, oh, we've got to look at something more than football. Uh, at the top level, you don't have to worry about money. Uh, so that duty of care should be there. Further down, it's a lot more difficult. And you're quite right. With the changing of the guard frequently, the changing of owners, the changing of managers, etc., uh, pastoral care becomes secondary. So that's where youth development comes in. It's where, it's, it's where all this, this expensive coaching, all of this infrastructure, it's really important. I think in England, they're getting it right, uh, more and more and more right, because um, pastoral care is very much a part, even of junior, junior levels. And I think England's probably a good example. And the fact that there's so few cases that they do explode, like Mason Greenwood, just tells you, I think, generally, what a good job it is. But my word, this is a horrible case, both of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, watch this space. We'll see what happens in the future. And um, there are terrible stories, and, well, we can only hope that that these things do not happen in the future. So uh, we move on. We're going to go around the world in a moment with uh, Africa Cup of Nations and perhaps also some uh, Asia FIFA World Cup qualifiers here on On The Ball, BFM 89.9. Deserved a goal, that lovely return pass just wide. On The Ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on the final part of On the Ball. And we're going straight to the nation of Cameroon to talk about the Africa Cup of Nations semi-final uh, between Cameroon and Egypt, which uh, I do believe you've all watched with great difficulty, no doubt. And, uh, well, Des mentioned it earlier and said it was a terrible match. But, uh, Sean, you watched it too. Uh, did you Did you get excited? When the tie was, you know, made out of the Cameroon against Egypt. Of course, you're going to get excited. It's the, the host against maybe one of the favorites in Egypt. You get excited. But for 120 minutes or 90 minutes, that game was drab. Des was saying it earlier, like Egypt just didn't want to play. The only exciting thing that happened for me was Carlos Curtis getting sent off. <laughs> that was the only exciting thing. And he's going to be missing the final. You expected more from a semifinal. And I, I didn't get that. It, it just, it felt bland. It was very slow. Nothing much was happening. It looked like, in a way, both teams were kind of scared. And it went to all the way to penalties. Again, Egypt goes to penalties or goes past extra time. And even then, the penalties were awful. I give credit to the second goalkeeper for Egypt for saving two out of the three penalties that uh, Cameroon didn't score. But the penalties were awful. They were were one-step penalties. They were predictable penalties. There were no power behind it, no placement behind it. It looked poor. The game as a whole to me was poor, but good on Egypt. They've made it to the finals. Dream final is on now in Senegal against Egypt. Yeah. Uh, Des, you said that, that a little bit earlier that uh, Egypt looked like they didn't want to play. That makes no sense. No, they didn't want to lose. Egypt have now won six penalty shootouts in a row. It seemed as though they were looking for the penalty shootout from the very first minute. They have a tactic of kick the, kick the ball up to uh, Salah, or score from a set play. That's their only offensive tactic. It is anti-football of the worst kind. You've heard me talk about this in, in um, the Premier League. It's the Sean Dyche way without the panache. 
Um, it, 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 it really was. It was it was despicable. It was time wasting. It was going down for nothing. We've even had an Egyptian player earlier on in the tournament going down hurt when the referee pushed him away from a from a from a melee. It is it is just Oh, it's it's horrible. And it's all because winning is so important. And if they do go and win the African Cup of Nations, all this garbage will be forgotten. But it, it, it's a dreadful, dreadful message to send. And, and we had this discussion last week. Um, Bob was bemoaning the fact you can't see it in, 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 in Malaysia. Bob, you're so lucky you didn't. <laughs> horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah. Anti-football one. So even though it's Salah's team... My gosh, give me Senegal to, to go out and try and win and, and to, to knock spots off Egypt. I'd love Egypt to lose by five or six in the final and get humiliated, but uh, I can't see it happening. The only reason I'd love it is because they were so, so anti-football. It was uh, horrible, horrible, well, horrible. Senegal are not the most exciting team either, are they? And ironically, you know, we build this African Nations Cup up. We try to anyway, as uh, something that's really colorful, exciting, football in the raw, all that kind of stuff. But actually what we're finding is that African football is sadly maturing in the similar way to football in other parts of the world. And you're getting two teams who are playing anti-football, probably one worse than the other, in the final, winning on penalty shootouts. And it's a rather sad commentary on African football. But it shows, I think, that it is maturing. You're not getting the high-scoring games that we once got in this tournament. The naivety has gone out of a lot of the uh, play. They've got a lot of European coaches, people like Carlos Queros, who Manchester United fans will remember, was an assistant to Alex Ferguson. Uh, thankfully, Fergie always had the final word, otherwise United would have been a lot duller than they probably were. Um, but he's made a, a career of, uh, of getting blood out of stones. He's uh, traveled around. He was at Iran for a long time. And they played the same way. They used to, most of the results were nil-nil and eking out a result on penalties. Um, so it's a bit of a, a disappointment, this. I still like the African Nations Cup. And I, I, I still maintain that it has the potential to be a really colorful tournament. And I think there's a lot of talent out there. But it's unfortunate that these so-called big-name coaches are putting a damper on it and playing like that because Mo Salah deserves better, frankly. I mean, you've got a world-class player like that and he's just expected to nick one or uh, be sure about scoring his penalty. It's a sad commentary on uh, the state of affairs. I don't know. Hold, hold your horses there. I want to, you know, so, so, let's come in for pragmatic football here. Far too often, African nations have gone to, say, the World Club, Cup, promising a lot and then being humiliated and have not got past the uh, qualifying round. Despite having abundance of talent, surely now they got they got to learn that lesson and become more mature and more pragmatic and realize that they're going to be up against players who... You mentioned Mohamed Salah. I know it wasn't an international, but then he gets his arm broken, basically, in a Champions League final. You need that kind of savvy. Sean, I mean, don't you think that, that these clubs need to be pragmatic and boring? Sergio Ramos is savvy, is he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Savage. 
<laughs> Savage, exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, the, you could say you know that there's a way to play to win games, and it fits it fits your your ideal of how you want to play and win. Sure, but as I mean, I don't support Egypt, nor do I support any of the the countries in the African Cup of Nations. But as a neutral, you want to watch something good. Right, you make money from from TV sales and all these kind of things. You watch a game of a semi final of a major tournament. You expect some level of entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I got none of that. It 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 felt like a a friendly at best, and a, a team won on penalties. And that's not something I want to watch. But if you're playing a game and your idea is let's just you know hold up all the way to penalties and you know that's the best way we can win if that's your way of playing sure but as a neutral to watch it not fun yeah <laughs> uh, i have not got an ally in sean i <laughs> it just des keeps winning with this uh we gotta i want to watch entertaining football nil nil is the perfect scoreline uh okay we're gonna move on then to uh the final the final story here which is asia fifa world cup qualifiers I got to say, I haven't been keeping an eye on this. So we have, well, Des, why don't you tell us what the situation is, what the state of play is, who has qualified, who is in, ch- in, uh, in with a chance? Okay, basically, there's two groups of six, uh, groups A and group B, and the top two of those groups of six automatically qualify. In group A, Korea and Iran have already qualified. So the third place team will go into a playoff against the other group's third place team, for a chance to play, I think it's a CONCACAF team for a chance to go to the World Cup finals. So uh, in, in, in group, group A, Korea, Iran are through. UAE and Iraq and uh, to a lesser degree, Lebanon are in a, a three-way scrap for uh, the, the third qualifying place. There's two more match days to go. Iraq and UAE play next on the 24th of March. Most fascinating, though, in Group B, Australia are struggling. So Australia drew with Oman, two each. Uh, a last-minute penalty costing them uh, uh, two valuable points. And so they are trailing behind um, Saudi Arabia, who've already qualified, and Japan, who've won now five matches on the trot, starting with a victory over Australia. So Australia are really, really, really struggling. Um, So Saudi have just about qualified. Japan, if they get a draw on the 24th of March against Australia, Japan will go through. And Australian football is going... Oh, it, 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 there's a massive, massive hoo-ha about Australian football at the moment at the international level because their women failed to qualify for uh, the, the World Cup finals automatically uh, in, um, when they were knocked out in the quarterfinals of the Women's Asian Cup. And their men are in danger of having to go through that playoff route in the, in the, World Cup, um, in the men's World Cup qualifiers. So it's not looking good for Australia at the moment. Very, very difficult times for them. And they just seem to be dropping points from winning uh, positions. So 24th of March, mark it into your calendar, Australia versus Japan. Vital for Australia if they're going to automatically qualify. Vital for Japan as well. If they don't, likely to play Iraq or UAE for a playoff, to play CONCACAF, to play uh, for the World Cup final place. Yeah, that that, that uh, really challenged my uh, maths. Uh, so uh, just to, to recap, Asia has how many spots? Four and possibly a fifth. Right. Okay. Four guaranteed. The two top teams in the group. Incidentally, Vietnam won their first ever final round match. They beat China by three goals to one to win at this level of qualification for the first time. 
Yeah, can I just come in there and China? I think that's a big story. Yes. China are out. And this is a country that has ambitions of hosting the World Cup by 2050. Okay, they're giving themselves a bit of time. Uh, we shouldn't underestimate them. But really, since their one and only appearance in the World Cup finals, their football has gone downhill. And bear in mind that they've put billions behind it. They created a Super League. They've had top European players, South American players come. They paid them an arm and a leg. And they even took the step, of, which is virtually unthinkable in China, of renationalizing players from other countries. And they've got Brazilians and Europeans uh, actually playing as uh, representing the Chinese national team. And they've got, they've found some flimsy uh, qualification like Jack Charlton used to do with Ireland. Um, some grandma or other has, uh, you know, went to, went to, yeah, went to Shanghai on uh, holidays or something. Um, oh, how to mischaracterize and, things. You know, <laughs> and despite, despite this incredible effort, they've just got worse and worse and worse. And we know now the Super League, that it, they even suspended the league, so that the national team had total concentration. They weren't distracted at all, and uh, they ended up like this, humiliated by Vietnam, who were the bottom team in the group, they still are the bottom team in the group. It's really incredible for China to, after what they've tried, to be so bad. All yeah. the money they put in, incredible. Financial crisis is killing them, though. All the property money went into football. That's all gone. Mm. Yeah, and it's not, it's not a football a deep football history not like not like um uae or uh qatar where you know he's got a football history qatar less so yeah i mean qatar yeah who can talk about football without mentioning qatar you know <laughs> brazil qatar <laughs> so uh move on sean i haven't got time to ask you your views on whether or not the socceroos will um qualify but we have to wrap up now. I want to thank, I, I mentioned them earlier uh, as, when we were talking as the, the Mount Rushmores of, uh, the faces on Ru Mount Rushmore of football punditry, Des Corkill and Bob Holmes. Always a pleasure, Cam. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely, Cam. Thanks a lot. And Mount Rushmore, well, I have to think about that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the young <laughs> pretender who's chiseling away, trying to knock them off their perch, Sean Mahotra. Oh, it's been an honor to be in the presence of two veterans. It's a, it's a major privilege. It was good fun. doesn't make it sound better, Sean. Two yeah. <laughs> very young men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very nice. And how's your podcast going, Sean? Been all right. Been really busy with work, so it's not really been possible. <laughs> okay. And um, oh my god, I've forgotten it again. It's uh, Pocket Devils. Pocket Devils. Check it out. <laughs> And so that is the end of this week's show. Please join us next Monday for Off the Ball and join us again next Friday for On the Ball here on BFM 89.9. Worth a try. And he's always prepared to give it a go. On the Ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.